Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. Hebrews chapter 3. Here's what it says. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Oh, there's some revelation right there. So notice again, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Well, if you're born again, if you've become a brother in the Lord, some people will say, well, you know, we in this earth, we're all children of God. Well, no, we're all creations of God, but we're not all children of God. Only those who are born again, only those who have become new inside spiritually, been born from above by the Holy Spirit because of the death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only those people are in the family of God and brethren. So don't get confused by thinking, well, everybody's in the same category. We are all creations of God. We are all human beings. But let me tell you, you're in a whole new class when you get born again. The good news is anybody can be. God wants everybody to be. God is. God does not uh, desire anyone to be uh, in hell for eternity. He wants every human being who's ever been born on earth to go to heaven. But unfortunately, not all will. Uh, I pray that you do and everybody that you come into contact will as well. But he says, therefore, holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling. If you're a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord, you are a partaker of the heavenly calling. Listen to this. Consider, he said, I want you to consider something. I want you to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. The apostle and high priest. The word apostle means the sent one. The one who was sent. Well, Jesus was sent from God to the earth. Yes, to die on the cross, be raised from the dead to pay for our salvation. But also he was sent to establish the new covenant, to establish the kingdom of God here on earth in us. So consider the apostle and high priest. Now, what does that mean? That means that just like the Jewish priest, that Jesus is now our high priest. In fact, let me say it like this. All of the law explaining the high priestly role, the other priest's role, the tabernacle, the sacrifices and all that, all of those things were really uh, precursors to the real high priest, the real tabernacle of God, the real sacrifice for sin. And that is all through the Lord Jesus Christ. So all that law was written to give us many of the details of what Jesus would be fulfilling. So now he's saying, I want you to consider this, brethren. I want you to consider that, yes, we've got the high priest. Of course, back in this day when the book of Hebrews was written, it seems evident by much of what he explains, the author I'm talking about, it seems evident that this is pre-70 AD when the temple was destroyed and animal sacrifice was halted in Jerusalem. He's saying, consider, we've got our own high priest here. We've got priests. We've got the temple in Jerusalem. We've got animal sacrifices. He said, but I want you to consider something. 
who are believers. Now, of course, this is primarily, it seems he was writing to Jewish believers who had this other going on still from the old. And he's appealing to say, consider that we have a new, we have a new temple in heaven. Actually, it was the original temple. And this one here on earth, the tabernacle and the temple are the pattern of the real one. He said, consider that in the kingdom of God, we have a high priest, an apostle and high priest, who is named Jesus Christ. And so he's talking to the Jewish reader. He's talking to those who are Jewish, but they become believers that Jesus is the Messiah. Yeshua is the Messiah. And he's saying, consider that he is now our high priest. See, so you have to understand if you're a Gentile like I am, and you're, you're looking at it from a Western point of view, you have to sort of click back into what it was like back in the day when animal sacrifices were still going on. There's still a high priest here on earth. And, and now the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, if you're in the new covenant now, our high priest is the Lord. He has fulfilled that old covenant. He is the embodiment of all of those sacrifices now. So your sins are not, not covered over by animal blood. No, your sins have been washed away by the innocent human blood of Jesus Christ. This is what he's going to. This is what he's going to talk about now. So he says, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, Father God, who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one, verse 3, this one, capital O, this is Jesus, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Well, this person, Jesus, is in a different class than Moses. Why? Because he's creator God. And not only that, but having come and died for our sins and been raised from the dead, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. And so Jesus is creator, but he's also been exalted because of his obedience to God. It goes on to say in verse four, for every house is built by someone and he who built all things is God. Verse 5, and Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ as a son, see, Christ is a son. Moses was a servant, Christ is a son. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So the house that Jesus is building, you know, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's not talking about buildings. He's talking about us. I will build my church. We are his house. Peter says, we're the living stones of his house. So he says here, uh, he builds uh, his house and it says, and it's us that he's building if we hold the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he's going to quote now from the Old Testament, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Well, obviously, he's talking about that first generation that came out of Egypt, headed to the promised land, but they didn't make it there. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 
So he goes on to say in verse 10, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He said to that first generation, he said, I promised to Abraham that I would take his descendants into Canaan land, into the promised land, the land where Abraham lived in a tent. He never got to build his house because he really didn't own the property with the exception of the burial place for his family that he bought. But he didn't get to realize it because God says, I'm going to take your descendants back into this land and give it to them. Well, it was God's will that the first generation out of Egypt go right into the promised land, but they didn't believe God. And so God said, because you tested me, because you tried, because of your rebellion, because of the hardness of your heart. First, I promised I would take you in, but now I'm promising, no, I'm not taking you in. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 11, I swore in my wrath, my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I swore. Now, somebody said, well, doesn't God keep his promises? Oh, yes, he does. He keeps his promises. But God is saying, I promised Abraham that I would bring his descendants in, and I'm going to keep that promise, but not this group. This group rejected me. So notice now back in verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, today, see, he's quoting from the Old Testament where the writer in the Psalms is saying today, God is speaking today. Well, now here's Hebrews quoting from Psalms saying today. In other words, God's given you another shot. And guess what? Here we are today reading Hebrews, quoting Psalm about the children of Israel going into the promised land. And we've got multiple layers here. But today, the Lord is speaking today and he's saying, I have a promised land for you, and I'm calling you to go into that promised land. And today, if you will hear my voice, do not harden your heart, as in the rebellion when the people didn't make it into their promised land. Don't you be like that. Don't harden your heart. Don't test me. Don't try me. Don't complain. Don't say, I'm not going to bring it to pass. Don't you give up on it. See, that's what caused that first generation not to inherit it and receive it. God says, if you'll not do that today, then I'll bring you in is what he's saying. So verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. When you have an evil heart, when you have a heart that says, well, I know what God's promise says, but I'm not sure he's going to bring it to pass because of this situation, that situation, the other. He said, beware, brethren, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. When you begin to put circumstances at a higher value, at a higher level of probability than God's promise, then you're discounting the authority, you're discounting the faithfulness, and you're discounting the very power of God. And so he said, beware lest you do that. Like God is God if he says he's going to do it. Like Joshua and Caleb try to tell everybody, no, if God's with us, he's going to give us this land. Doesn't matter how many giants, doesn't matter how many fortified cities. So what? God dropped Egypt, the superpower of the world, to their knees. He's going to do that with all these kings in Canaan land too. But they didn't listen to Caleb and Joshua. 
No, they listen to the 10 spies. And this is what most people do today. Today, they don't listen to people that say, no, if God promised it, we need to stand in faith. We need to pray. We need to endure. We need to believe God and persevere and trust him that he's going to bring it to pass. So beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living of God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. In other words, let's not wait till tomorrow to exhort one another to stand on God's word. Let's do it while it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So notice there's a deceitfulness of sin. Walking in sin deceives you into thinking that somehow or another God's promises and God's word is not going to come to pass. Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Notice, we're partakers if we hang on. And here's, here's something that everybody needs to know about in the kingdom of God. The promises of God are not automatic transmission. In other words, just because God promised it, that doesn't mean he's going to do it without us standing in faith. See, for example, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. He's been raised from the dead. The gospel has been preached. Uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you don't call, you won't be saved. See, just because uh, 2 Peter 3, 9 says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Well, just because it's God's will doesn't mean it's going to happen. Each individual person needs to hear this, believe it, open their mouth, declare Jesus as Lord, begin to live for Jesus, and then they're born again. And then the promise comes to pass for them. See, so God is faithful to his promises, but we each have to appropriate those promises. We have to apply those promises. So notice again, he's saying we need to hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, verse 15, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 16, for who having heard rebelled? So there's the question, and he's going to answer what I already told you. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Verse 17, now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So, verse 19, we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Oh, this is so powerful. He's saying here that that first generation that didn't make it in the promised land, you may say, well, it must not have been God's will that they enter into the promised land. No, you'd be wrong. Somebody might say, well, uh, but if they would have entered the promised land right then, then there wouldn't have been the miracles of their children because their children would have just been children going in some 40 years before. No, you'd be wrong. No, the Bible is clear. It was the will of God that they enter into the promised land, the first generation. It was the will of God. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. They believed that the giants in the land, the fortified cities, and all of that was going to, was stronger than their God. That was, that they were stronger than the faithfulness of God. And that's why they couldn't enter in. That's why they complained. That's why they bickered. That's why they were not rejoicing. God brought us out of Egypt, and then he's going to take us in and give us Canaan land too. 
See, he did to the second generation under Joshua. So we obviously read in the Bible that he could and would and did. But the first generation bought into the idea that he's not going to do it. He can't do it because of this and that and the other. (laughs) But they were wrong. And guess what? Anybody that says that the promises of God don't always come to pass, God's not always faithful, God doesn't always do it, he's a sovereign God, so he has a higher purpose, and he's trying to teach us something and such, and so therefore he'll just choose on his own not to bring them to pass. No, that's not true. That's not true. Now, what I'm also not saying is, even though it says here they couldn't enter in because of unbelief, I'm also not saying that faith is the only issue of why people don't realize the promises of God. Because uh, Jesus said uh, about the devil, he said, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So notice Jesus identified there is a thief who steals, kills, and destroys. Well, that's not the will of God. But he does it. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, he goes on to say. And so here, here's the Bible acknowledging there is a literal thief, a devourer, a destroyer that comes to destroy and attack. You remember, uh, hold up the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. The devil's launching launching fiery darts at us all the time. He is launching an attack on us. And what do we need to do? We need to believe God. We need to have our shield of faith up. We need to continue to say, hey, I know it looks bad. I know it looks impossible, but God's word says, and we're just going to keep moving in faith. We're going to keep walking forward, expecting God somehow, some way to bring these things to pass. That's how miracles happen. That's how these supernatural answers to prayers come. They come from people who relentlessly say, yeah, but the word of God says, yes, but God said, yes, but God said, yes, but God said. And people speculate, don't you listen to speculation, stay with God's word, stay with his promise, stay. And by the way, this chapter says today, 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 believe it today. And so you can see right now, as we're reading this, how the Holy Spirit is speaking a word He's speaking a word to you today, and he's saying, don't you give up on that promise just because it seems too long since you began to believe and pray, or just because you've made mistakes or circumstances have soured? Oh, no. God says, you stick with it and believe me today. While it's called today, don't harden your heart. Trust me. Stick with my word and watch me do the supernatural and bring it to pass. Well, I tell you what, he's going to go on with this same uh, teaching. So we're not done with the teaching. We're just done with the chapter. But that's good already, isn't it? Praise God. Thank God for God's word that teaches us these things. Well, I've enjoyed being with you. And don't miss tomorrow as we continue this same teaching in Hebrews chapter 4. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. 
here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.